Good morning. This is Kevin Payne, pastor at First Baptist Church in Independence, Missouri. Welcome to our podcast. What you're about to hear is a portion of our worship services that began last Sunday morning at 1030. Every week we gather and sing praises to the living God and hear teachings from His Word found in Scripture. We hope you enjoy the message. If you'd like to hear more, there are more here on the podcast, or you could come and worship with us. Our Bible studies begin at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and our worship begins at 10.30. We're located in Independence, Missouri, 500 Westerman Road. Why don't you come and worship with us? Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We worship you and you alone, Father. Messiah, Creator and Savior, friend. We worship in you alone. We ask that your spirit would move in our midst. Change us, Father, to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We're just glad that everyone is here today. Remember that coming up this Saturday, the 16th, is our fundraising concert for our old sanctuary. And in some places, the editors, and that'd be me, didn't catch it. But it is the 16th, not the 17th. Bring friends. Bring enemies. Bring them. Buy their ticket for them. It is a fundraiser, so remember that. So we want as many people to come as we can. And we will take up an offering during the intermission, so come prepare for that and alert your friends to that. This is one of those few times where we shouldn't be ashamed about asking for offerings. I know sometimes we're a little bit hesitant to do that. But this is a fundraiser, so we need to do that. And, of course, the old building needs many things, and there's only one way to pay for those. So I encourage you to give and give generously to that. We are so glad you're here to worship with us. Uh, you know, we are a church, like so many others, full of people who follow the resurrected Christ. I'm glad you're here. Would you bless our homes and families, source of life who calls us here. In our world of stress and tension, teach us love that conquers fear. Help us learn to love each other with a love that constant stays. Teach us when we face our troubles, love's expressed in many ways. From the homes in which we're nurtured, Oh 
Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Romans chapter 8 and Deuteronomy 6. We'll begin at Romans 8, so you might want to find Deuteronomy 6 and mark it. That is in your Old Testament, of course. We worship today in freedom. Not only does our government not care, they make allowances for our worship. Very few people have that privilege. And it became part of our lives simply because of our veterans. We recognize them. Romans chapter 8, still in our series, what would Jesus say to fictional characters if Jesus could sit down in a workplace or somewhere else and have a conversation? So today we answer the question, what would Jesus say to family leaders? Maybe the fella sitting on a bench waiting for his wife and kids to do their shopping. Maybe the woman waiting in the car line at school before she picks up her kids. Maybe grandparents who are raising their kids. What would Jesus have to say? So we're going to try to answer that question today. As I said, we'll begin at Romans chapter 8. As always, we pray. Father, we gather this morning in worship, stopping our busy lives for just a moment to hear you speak. We express our devotions to you in this worship. We hear songs of praise to you and your works. We give you this gift of time. We honor you, Father. We recognize your gifts to us. You have been ever so generous with us, material blessings, this nation of freedom, the privilege of worship, the salvation we have in Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we come to you knowing that we are a sinful people, and so we ask for mercy and forgiveness. Forgive us for our apathy for our rebellion against your leadership, for our unwillingness to serve you. Forgive us, Father. Cleanse us as only you can. We claim the blood of Jesus on this one. Make us whole. Lord, in this worship hour, we recognize that we need you in every way. We pray for help. Help with our families to keep them together to feed them, to keep them housed. Help with our relationships. Help us, Father, to restrain our desires, our tempers, our tongues. Help us to be willing to give grace to others. Help us to be gracious in all situations, to be kind and forgiving, to remember that we represent Christ in any and every situation. Help us. As always, Father, we pray that you would be with our nation's leaders. Give them guidance and wisdom, sacrificial spirits, a spirit of compromise, 
a spirit of working for the common good. We pray, Father, for our families that they might honor you, that you would give parents and grandparents discipline and endurance and love and patience with their children and grandchildren. We pray that you'd be with our soldiers, our first responders, protect them as they serve, keep them safe, comfort their families, use their efforts to bring peace and justice and safety and rescue lives. Lord, in this world we struggle. Everything is hard because of our sin. Because of the sin of humanity, everything is tainted. Help us. Speak to us from your word now. Help us to hear the words of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Families are great, aren't they? You know, I love kids to a point. I keep a big water. You know that every morning I stand and greet kids at the door to the child care. About 90 kids come in here every day that I get to see. Many of them have snotty noses. Not just minor wet. We're talking serious snotty. So I've learned to carry paper towels, not Kleenexes. That's not enough. Paper towels. And when I see those kids come on my way, I pull out a paper towel and I grab their whole face. And moms are usually pretty happy about that. Because if it doesn't go on my paper towel, it goes in their hair. And so I help them. I don't let them snot all over me. But I did find out yesterday, I was saying goodbye to my grandkids. They came and spent the night. And my routine is, after they're all buckled in their car seats, and there's three across the way they do it, that I kiss the one closest to me, then I kiss the one in the center, then I can't reach the other one. And there she was with, guess what, hanging on her face, all kind of snotty stuff. I knew I was a distance away, so I was safe. So I said, Lily, I can't reach you. Well, she wasn't buckled in, so she popped up and gave me a big snotty kiss. And you know what? It was Okay. Because for family, I will allow a snotty kiss. That's what families are, aren't they? There are these commitments and relationships that supersede all those concerns. And even though we don't like those snotty kisses, we'll take that snotty kiss from a grandbaby. Because families are everything to us. Families really are wonderful, even when family isn't perfect. And, and most of our families aren't perfect you think about it, we, we talk about dysfunctional families and functional families. The reality is that all families have a certain level of dysfunction. Sometimes it's in a certain area, but we all struggle in some areas. But the good families, it's not that they get everything right. It's that they get the main things right, love and connection and all those kind of things. Well, today we're going to talk about families and how essential they are. Interestingly enough, as modern psychiatry has grown and developed, they're beginning to teach almost Christian things. Now, modern psychiatry isn't Christian, and it isn't a Christian endeavor. I don't want to give you that impression. It's not bad or anything like that, but it's not Christian. But they're beginning to teach these radical truths that families are essential to healthy children, that families shape you. And by the time you're five or six years old, the course of your life is almost set because of your family experiences. So now we're being taught by all these non-Christians that are good, smart people that what you really need to do if you want your children to be successful is love them and train them and teach them 
and forgive them. Strangely enough, very Christian ideas, isn't it? And even in areas that aren't really spiritual in nature, they're saying families really need to teach that kind of thing. Emotional intelligence, financial intelligence, things that teachers don't have time to do. Moms and dads, grandparents can and should. So let's imagine Jesus talking to a family leader. Like I said, could be a daddy waiting on his family, could be a mama in her car waiting on the kids coming out. doesn't matter. Anybody who has leadership responsibilities in a family, we're going to talk to them and see how Jesus might talk to them and what he might say. And one of the main ideas here is that God's relationship with his people, how God relates to you and I, shows us the way a family is to work. It shouldn't come as a surprise that throughout both the Old and New Testament, when God wanted us to understand just what kind of a relationship he wanted with us, he used the analogy of family, of healthy family, a family that is characterized by love and commitment to each other. That is the kind of family that God has created us to experience. It's amazing that sometimes what you read in books isn't enough, isn't it? You know, sometimes you not only need to be taught, you need to see. Several years ago, I decided to take up welding, and I've told this story before, but it, it, it's kind of something that's important to me. And welding is this really interesting process. Welding is where you take either gases or uh, flames created by electricity, and you meld metals together. And there's all kinds of techniques and processes. Don't need to get into that. But I, I bought a welder. My first welder I gained through an estate of my brother. And I splotched things together, and it didn't work. So I got a book. And I'm a big one on books, and I've learned a lot of things from books. And my sisters teased me when I was a kid because whenever I wanted to do something, I would just go to the library and get a book. And they said, oh, you can't learn that from a book. And sometimes they were right and sometimes they were wrong. So anyway, here I was. This has been about 10 years ago. And I bought a welding book, and it said to do thus and so. And I tried thus and so, and it just didn't work. And I didn't know what to do because I tried to do what they said. And all they ended up doing, either scaring the water out of myself because of the arcs or making a mess of things. And amazingly enough, if you're not careful, you can take a hard piece of steel and turn it into a piece of a puddle that melts through your shoe almost immediately if you're not careful. And I did that. And I didn't know what I was going to do because I had this book and it just wasn't clicking. And then, through the miracle of modern technology... And again, this is several years ago. I stumbled onto YouTube, and you know what that is. And on YouTube, you can learn almost everything. A lot of people don't know what they're talking about when they do it. But if you look long enough, you can find someone on YouTube that has videos showing you how to do something. So I stumbled through a lot of those videos and finally found someone who not only knew what they were doing, but could show it. And so the gentleman that taught me how to weld, I've never met him before, he would take a section of his welding book and read it and discuss it for three or four minutes. And then he would put on a filter to the welder and he would show me how to weld. And he wrote that just for me. Now, several years later, I can stick metal together. I am not a welder, but my welds have gone from bird droppings at 20 yards 
to wads of gum, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, you may not know much about welding, but a good weld looks like a stack of dimes that is kind of slid over. You know that look where they're just in a straight row and they're kind of pretty? That's a good weld. A bad weld looks like a piece of bubble gum that your grandkids stuck on the carpet. And that's where I was, and I moved closer to the stack of dimes, but I had to see... It wasn't enough to be told. It wasn't enough to read. I needed an example. When God was trying to teach us how to be family, he knew that. So he used the analogy of family to show how he works with people's lives. And he used the way he works in people's lives to show us how family works together. Now, if you would, follow along in Romans chapter 8. I'll read verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8 beginning at verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So here it is, Paul writing to the early church at Rome. Talking to civilized, intelligent people. And, and Rome was a great cosmopolitan area. And they were very intelligent people. And in the church what had happened was. A variety of people from different backgrounds. Some Jewish. Some atheist. Some pagan. They got saved. They received Jesus as Savior. Received the cleansing. Received the Holy Spirit. And gathered together. And they were being taught by their pastor. And they would read scripture that they had and being taught in the Old Testament. All those kinds of things. And in this passage, Paul is trying to use terms that they would understand. And so, interestingly enough, talking to people who didn't know Christianity very well. They could not watch Christians on TV, which probably isn't a good thing. But, you know, it's misrepresentative. But they couldn't look at examples of their lives of Christian institutions because there were none. Christianity was pretty new. And so he was teaching them, and he used language that they would understand to show what this thing called Christianity was to be. He said, we are to live for Christ. And he talks about dying with Christ and all those kinds of things, and talks about following Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit and all those kinds of things. And then he says some things that are important. Look at verse 14, if you would. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. In that culture of families, and by the way, all cultures have families, there were sons. So God spoke through Paul, said, listen, in faith, as you follow Jesus, you are sons of God. Now, they knew what that meant. If you were a son, you have a father and a family, and everybody understood that. So, in the early church, they were taught if you follow Jesus, you are sons of God, not just like the Son of God, but sons, part of God's family, something very special. In a family, you have a special relationship with the Father. 
And that's the kind of relationship that God is wanting with his people, so says Paul. And then he says, if you would, verse 15, we have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Interestingly enough, in ancient cultures, particularly Rome, which was very organized, and when you think of large bureaucracies in America and everything being in writing and everything being clearly defined legally and all those kinds of things, we get that from ancient cultures. And ancient Rome was just like that. And in ancient Rome, when you adopted a son, when you adopted a child, that child was yours as if she was or she or he was yours biologically. No distinction. So, Paul is saying, for those of you who follow Jesus, you are sons of God and you have been adopted into the family. Now, he said this for a couple of reasons, primarily because the Jewish people thought they were better than the non-Jewish people. And there was always that tension between Jews and non-Jews, even though they were now Christian. And he was saying this to the Jewish Christians, listen, you have all been adopted into the family of God. And he wanted them to understand it. So he used that very technical legal term, adoption. You are embraced and there is no difference. And then he says, verse 17, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now you know what an heir is. Is. An heir is someone who inherits something from the Father. So people who follow Jesus are sons of God. They are adopted into faith. And now, says Paul, we are heirs of this life and of the blessings of God. And eventually, eternal life. We gain all those things by faith in Jesus. All of those things apply towards anyone who follows Jesus. They are adopted into the family of faith. Your background is irrelevant. What you used to believe is meaningless because as adoption, you become one with the Father. Fast forward 2,000 years. It's the same today, isn't it? Families are built upon commitments to each other, sometimes blood, sometimes legal. In the family of faith, people are adopted. In our culture, when you go through an adoption process, the child that you adopt is yours just as fully as any other child. And heirs, too. So those are understandings. Things about the family of faith that we just need to understand. And isn't it interesting and significant that Paul didn't use religious terminology at all? He just used understandings that we all we get are some things that we can gain from the way God relates to his family. Things that Jesus would say to our friend waiting on his kids or her children. Number one, love your babies. It's just that simple. Love your babies. Even when your babies have snotty noses. Even when your babies are tatted up and have piercings in their ears and nose and eyebrows and all those other things. Even when they don't look like you want them to look or act like you want them to look, love your babies. Love your babies. 
the acceptance, Jesus would say that a parent or a leader needs to give his children must be unconditional. Not determined by whether or not they act correctly or do correctly or turn out correctly. It must be absolutely unconditional. I know kids challenge you. They disappoint you. They hurt you. They rebel against you. Love your babies. Again, using the relationship between you and Father God, your father, you're the adopted child. Does God always love you? Of course he does. Does he love your sin? No. Might he punish you? Of course. He always loves you absolutely because his love for you is based not on your performance but on a decision and part of his character. It is eternal and absolute which is the model for the family leader. Love your babies even when they make you mad. It's just really important. I got on to Henry, my four-year-old grandson. And he's all boy, all boy to the bone, which means you got to watch out or he'll hit you in the head with a toy. It's just what he does. And he breaks that toy in the process. He breaks everything and he understands that. And put him in with the granddaughters. And because he's bigger and stronger than him, he kind of is a bully at four years old. And he takes things away because he can. And I heard myself getting all over him. And then I said, realize, I said, Henry, baby, we love you, but you got to stop this nonsense. I wanted to make sure he understood I didn't reject him. I still loved him. I just couldn't tolerate that kind of behavior. This is what kids need to hear. Love your babies. And like I said, not everything babies do is lovable. But love your babies. Just like God always loves us. Another thing, Always be supportive and encouraging of your family. For children, it's easy to give up. Sometimes as adults, it's surprising how easily it is for us to give up and just say forget it or feel terrible about ourselves. And what we need is a continuous source of encouragement and strength and hugs and forgiveness and all those kinds of things. Kids need that desperately. I am aware of the fact now that kids need it even into their 50s and 60s. We still need that encouragement. This is exactly what God does for his people. He encourages us. Keep serving. In this passage, keep living. Understand you are an adopted son of God. He's brought you in. You can't change that. God loves you ever. And that's an encouragement. The scriptures teach us that even Christians sin. And the scriptures teach us that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That Jesus defends us before the Father. He pleads our case. He acts to bring us mercy and forgiveness. We're taught in 1 John that when we confess our sins, that God is always faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's an encouragement because if, if you understand that as Christian... When you fail, you realize you can go to God in prayer and receive forgiveness. And there is an encouragement there that, that comes just because they know and we know. Your children and grandchildren and maybe you 
need that constant encouragement. And moms and dads, grandparents, family, never hesitate to encourage and strengthen. One of the other things is this sense of instruction and discipline. Kids need to be taught how to act. One of the things that I think is so important in our culture that we're kind of losing is the instructional aspect of family. Moms and dads, grandparents need to be those authority structures that teach, that explain, that show, that give you a chance to try. And when you mess up, they give you another chance and all those kinds of things. Kids need to see that. It goes for the way you talk. It goes for the way you express your emotions. It even goes to the mundane about how you handle your money. I remember my dad, he would always pay his bills, and he was that old generation, my parents' generation, handled his money wisely, was very frugal, always paid his bills on time. And dad had this routine, and he did it from the time I was a little squirt. He would keep all of his stuff in a box, and he would bring the box out to the kitchen table, and he would spread everything out. And everybody knew dad was paying bills. And he wasn't usually angry, but he paid those bills anyway. And if you go to ask him, he goes, I'm paying my bills. And we'd stand there, and we'd watch him write those checks. And he was patient enough with us. He would show us. And then my daddy, Ever the Baptist deacon, you know what he did next? He said, now, Kev, watch this. He would write a check to First Baptist Church of Humansville. And then it was First Baptist Church of Excelsior Springs. And it was this offering check. And I said, Dad, you paying a bill? And I had these conversations. He goes, no, this is just my way of giving back to God. And he didn't make a big deal about it, he said, but he wanted me to understand. And then he would leave that check on the counter where we could see it. And we all talked about it. You know how kids are. Didn't look like we was getting nothing from the church. But Dad did it anyway. So you know what I did when I was a young daddy, when my kids were old enough to start watching me, I would allow them to watch me pay bills, and they'd stand there yakking, and I would write a check to the church, First Baptist Church Calgal, Salem Avenue Baptist Church Rolla, and write the check. And then like my daddy had taught me by example, I'd lay it on the counter, and it'd be there two, three days, and they'd look at that. And I was not only teaching them, I was showing them. Parents, your children and grandchildren need to be taught how to handle their finances. They need to see that responsible people in the family pay their bills on time. They need to see that responsible people of faith give an offering consistently, even if it costs, and even if you have to do without some things, and those conversations happened. And they need to see you doing this as a value of your life. Your grandkids, your great-grandkids need to see you handling your money well. They need to see you handling your emotions well. They need to see you angry and not letting that anger lead you to sin and abuse. It's unfortunate and it's really tragic when you realize that when we talk about family abuse and child abuse and spousal abuse, and all the things that are so common in our culture, what we're talking about is family systems, isn't it? Because kids learn that behavior from mom and daddy. 
boys learn from their daddy that it's okay to smack mama around. Girls learn from their mama that it's okay if dad smacks you around. You take it. And somewhere along the way, moms and dads and grandparents have to say, we're going to stop this cycle and we're going to change. Jesus would challenge the husband and wife, listen, your kids see you. Be careful what they see. Your children hear you. Be careful what they hear. Do the right thing and and struggle with it and talk about it and instruct your children and your grandchildren. They need to hear it. Believe me, they're not going to get good behavior from school. Parents, teachers don't have the time. That's not what they're there for. The government's not going to help. It's just not that way. There's no place where children are going to learn what they need to learn if mom and dad don't do it. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the issue of faith. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Old Testament. Verses 4 through 7. Follow along if you would. Deuteronomy 6 beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So what's Moses teaching his people? Pass on your faith to your family. Now he was talking to the men and you understand that in ancient cultures the man was seen to be in charge even though everybody knew the truth, right? But he was saying, listen, you people of faith, your children need to see you in the practice of your faith. Your children and your grandchildren need to hear you talk about your faith. They need to see you worship. They need to see you give an offerings. They need to hear you pray at meals. They need to see you pray in church and go to Sunday school and all those things. God knew that the family was the place, the best place for people to learn of their faith. One of the things that I've realized over the years as a pastor, it is very difficult to teach old dogs new tricks. And that's a religious concept, isn't it? You know what I mean, right? If someone is 20 and 30 and 40 years old and you're trying to teach them new stuff, it's just hard because you're overcoming 20 and 30 and 40 years of instruction and practice and example. But you bring some kids into the church and their mom and daddies have brought them to church. And they've grown up in the faith. And they hear mom and daddy talking about Jesus and those kinds of things. Those kids will adopt the faith and probably practice the faith. No guarantees, obviously. But there is wisdom in passing your faith on to the children. I wish I could say that we've been good at that. But my generation of parents has failed miserably. Haven't we? We have not been able to pass on our faith to our children effectively as a generation. I'm not sure what happened. But when a generation begins to turn away from God and adopt practices that simply aren't Christian and aren't biblical, probably it's the fact of the generation that missed the opportunities to drag them to church to teach them. I remember my mom and daddy literally dragging me to church. You know that short, sensitive hair on the back of your neck? God put that there for a reason. 
And mom knew what that reason was. And every Sunday, we went to church. She didn't bring us up to be preachers or anything. In fact, she was disappointed when I became a preacher because she wanted me to be a music leader. She was a a music person, piano teacher. She wanted me to play the piano and sing like Nate. When I became a preacher, you know, she never really asked me to come preach at her church. She would ask me to come and sing. After a few decades, she accepted the fact that I was a preacher. She was okay with that. Finally, just before she died. (laughs) I don't want to belabor the point. Jesus challenges each of us to be the kind of parent and grandparent and great-grandparent that passes on their faith. Our kids need that. Not going to get it from TV. They're surely not going to get it off YouTube and, and all those places or whatever those other applications are. They need to see family leaders practicing their faith. And when you do that, and Jesus would challenge our leader friend, he said, listen, you do the right thing, and when they are old, they'll come back to this faith. They may fight you for a while. You may have to force them to go to church, and you may have to give up after a while because they just, they're just too big and they're on their own. But they'll come back, and that's a promise in the Old Testament, isn't it? So this week, we'll see this Jesus talking to us, love your babies, practice your faith so your babies can see you, and show them the value of a life-changing faith. On screen is a passage of scripture, read this with me if you would, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. We are heirs of a coming glory because of our faith in Jesus. Nate's going to come up and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Let me challenge you. Pass on this faith that you practice to your children and grandchildren. Allow them to see you struggle with issues of faith. Allow them to see you living out your faith each day. Allow them to see you receiving Jesus as Savior. Would you stand with me, please? coming Saturday night right here 7 o'clock is our fundraising concert for the old sanctuary let me encourage you to come again bring friends bring everybody you can come prepared to give as it's this fundraiser as we prepare to take care of some business so I hope you do that 7 o'clock Saturday night
Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity today to hear the sermon. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to remember to love our families and to encourage them and support them. Lord, I also ask that you would be with all of our veterans who have sacrificed as we remember them on Veterans Day tomorrow. And Lord, I just ask that you would be with our active military who are still serving and sacrificing today. In your name I pray. Amen.